My name is Laura Max Rose, and I have two girls and two very full hands. Parenting is one of the most intense, rewarding, and all-consuming adventures I've ever been on. And wherever you are in your journey, you're not alone. This podcast is where I ask all of my parenting questions and share the answers I find with you. We're all in this together, and I'm so glad you're here. Sit back, relax. You're listening to Look Ma No Hands. All right, we're good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I don't think I have ever been this excited or sweaty um, interviewing somebody ever. Um, I'm here today with Mr. Chaz, as you may know him, um, Chaz Lewis. He is of TikTok and Instagram fame, and I just love him. And welcome to the show, Chaz. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm already loving your energy, and I'm excited for the conversation and where it goes. I don't know if I've ever been like starstruck by someone that I, I don't know. This has never happened because I actually found Mr. Chaz through big little feelings so big little feelings like i guess almost two million people are following them right now which includes a ton of my followers so if you're listening to this you've at least probably heard of them they're amazing and Chaz actually interviewed them for the one podcast that they were on which is how i discovered him and have since just like fallen in love with his videos um i've never met anyone who can talk about something so challenging at times, which is healing generational trauma in a way that often makes me laugh, entertains me, um, really gets me thinking. And I just, I, I adore what you do. And I think because of the way you do it, you're really able to access people who maybe otherwise wouldn't necessarily be interested. Um, but they're entertained by the way that you do it. Um, if you haven't seen Chaz's videos, he'll often play both roles. Um, so he'll be the toddler and the parent. And it's so funny. It makes you really laugh at yourself as a parent when you're thinking about how your toddler must be interpreting you when you're totally freaking <laughs> out. And humor is, is very important, I find. But I'm just going to dive in here. Um, the thing that I think of the most whenever anybody is doing the type of work you're doing is how did you get started and what prompted you to do this? Because I don't think everybody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go out into the world and help raise a generation that you know yeah. feels more deeply and honestly than I did and has more permission <laughs> to be themselves. I think some people think that way. I know I think that way, but that's definitely not common. So what what caused you and prompted you to go out into the world and say, I'm going to try to heal a generation today. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> I don't know if it, if it happened exactly like that. Uh, you know, it's been a journey for me to be, you know, to be honest. And it started with me working with children. And it didn't start when I started working with children. There wasn't a, I'm here to, you know, save the world, to like heal the world and to grow the world. It was, it was quite honestly, I was just searching for, you know, what I wanted to do in life, searching for a summer job. And I really connected with, with children. Um, but I struggled with knowing what to do in situations of conflict, for example. Like I understood the gravity of what I was doing of growing the next generation of humans, but like I didn't know like how to do that or like I was, if I was helping or, or hurting and I would go in to try to help and then it seemed like I'd make it worse. I'm like, am I ruining like these kids? Like, it's like you have the best intentions ever, but there's no instruction manual. That's right. like, and then and, you hear like, maybe you sort of hear what your parents said to you coming out of your mouth and you're like, oh God, that's not good. And it right. kind of solidifies that it was never good to begin with. <laughs> and, you know, and as, as a teacher, you know, first working with children as a teacher, a lot of the ways, you know, the way that I was raised would not be allowed in a school setting. Right. And yeah. so it's kind of like, what do I do? I'm kind of like paralyzed and it's like, I know how like feelings are coming up, but I'm kind of paralyzed. I don't know what to do. So I, and another thing too, just about the early childhood profession is that there is in most cases and more cases than not, you're really kind of just thrown in there. And I was kind of thrown into a Montessori classroom with 30 children. Um, you know, you, you watch a couple of videos and they're like, okay, you watch some videos about play, like, Go you're in good there. Now. You're ready. Like, yeah. You got so this. So it's just like becoming a parent, basically. Yeah. Too. And I'm like, really? Right. This is it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the good part is that at some point I get to like 
was able to go home and reflect and be like, yeah. man, all of this stuff that happened. Um, and, you know, that was a part of my journey, like the daily reflection, the luckily for me, I had uh, leaders who really believed in me and saw things in me before I saw things in myself and were really invested in terms of sending me to trainings, a lot, a lot, a lot of trainings. And also just the personal investment of just when I would have these questions at the end of the day, like, okay, so such and such happened, like, how do I think about this? Like, how do I respond? Like, what do I do here? And just having these conversations over and over and over and over again with a variety of people. And, you know, as I became a lead Montessori teacher and I was able to go to professional developments monthly and have these conversations with other teachers who were kind of having similar struggles and were able to really just, 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 talk and connect and to talk about like nuance and, and learn together. Um, and, but it didn't really click for me of like this, making this larger impact until I just casually in the, in the break room and a teacher came up to me and was like, look, like I noticed that like, like you've got some like hard kids in your class and like they seem to do pretty well with you. And I have this one hard, because like when you you know when you show that you can work with the you know quote unquote like challenging behaviors what they have people have a chance to do is like oh like we're gonna kind of put all the kids who struggle in your class with you <laughs> yeah. right and so yeah. um and it's I'll be honest like it was you know every time I got a new child who had you know these you know these different challenges it really challenged me. And I always say, and I always like tell teachers and parents too, but you know, mainly this is my conversation with teachers, like it's those kids who challenge you, who are challenging, that challenge you the most, that help you grow the most. And if it, if it wasn't for those kids who had different needs, who saw the world a little differently, who were spirited and, and were, you know, quote unquote defined or whatever, I would not have been able to grow as much as I did. And so teachers started to come to me and were like, hey, I have this, you know, child who's challenging me. And, you know, I said challenging child, but really kind of a, a, a paradigm shift there is like, it's not necessarily the child who is challenging, but a, a, it's you a, who a is challenged, challenging bias. you. Right. 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 Um, and so, you know, a teacher came up to me and just casually like, hey, like, you have any advice, something such is happening. And I kind of just casually like, yeah, I would, in this situation, I would probably do this. It seems like he may be wanting X, Y, and Z and, you know, kind of what maybe now is kind of like a little one minute TikTok. And so I just kind of shared casually. Um, and then she came back the next day and she was like, oh my goodness, like that was a complete shift in the day that like changed my entire day, that changed his child's entire, entire day. Like I need more. And so I was like, wow, if I can, I love being able to make this impact on my little community of humans, my, my 20 little children that I have here. And I think it's, it's, it's really powerful to do that. But if I can impact teachers, then my impact can be exponential. And that's when it started to like, ah, I can really be a part of growing the next generation of humans. Um, and so I became an educational specialist where my position was to support and train and teach, teach teachers to teach. Um, and a big part of the job is when there are, there's a challenge or something that teachers are challenged with or a child challenged with, or there's something that like someone doesn't know how to deal with, I'd be the person who is called in. And I worked with eight different schools. And so it's going to a lot, seeing a lot of children with a lot of different challenges um, and children who didn't have like, or even necessarily outward challenges, who, you know, children who were maybe were more quiet, but they had other, you know, other skills and other challenges that, you know, they, or that the teacher really needed to learn how to understand and to work with. And, going into all these different environments, um, all of these different children, all these different teachers, like you start to notice patterns. Um, and I learned so much from that experience on top of 
of course, the books I was reading, the podcasts I'm listening to, the reflection that I'm doing daily, the conversations that I'm having daily, um, you know, all of this stuff, you know, the conferences that I'm attending. Um, so I'm still learning so much along the way, um, but still being able to make this impact. So then the pandemic happened, teachers went home, kids went home, and parents, they were the everything for the they child. They were everything. And they, they needed were, support. That was, I think, yeah. when you and Big Little Feelings kind of came on the scene too, because it was like, God help me. I never thought I was going to be homeschooling and parenting and never peeing, right? like ever. Yeah. yeah just yeah. insane. And, and, you know, I started to see, especially through TikTok, I started to see how people were really struggling. And a lot of the challenges that people were sharing I felt like I had a lot of insight to due to my experience and my understanding of children of seeing thousands and thousands of children where a parent is like the only child that I mean, they may have really known really well as maybe their childhood self and right you know if they can remember you also and, had some perspective like you were going home to like kind of take some space it wasn't like you were in the trenches with like toddlers in your house i think like being able to be like have that sort of awareness probably made you so much more useful to you know i, I can think of like teachers and, and authors even who were just drowning themselves they were like i can't do any of this like this is impossible i don't know what to tell you yeah it was that yeah. hard yeah yeah for sure and you know i think even in the process of like i'm such a and this this is part of what i preach about you know about like parenting about leadership about teaching about curiosity is so important and so essential to learning and so even as i am you know, starting to help parents and create content for parents. Like I, my process is I create content and then I listen and yeah. I listen to the feedback and I listen to, and really, to be honest, at first it started off with like, there are things like my child is, you know, coloring on the wall. And I told them a hundred times to stop coloring on the wall, I told them to stop and they don't listen. They're not listening. Yeah. And if you, and you know, it started off with like, you know, videos and suggestions about like, well, understanding child development, like understanding and a parent ne wouldn't necessarily know that a toddler needs to color and paint with their whole body, right? They need that whole body movement. So when we give them that piece of paper, that small piece of paper and put it on the table and we tell them to color on it, it's not the same. It's not the, it's same. Not the same need getting met as when they pick up the crown and they're coloring on the wall they want to they want to do that with their whole body um and so i would be giving suggestions like well instead i mean we can get an easel or if you can't afford an easel then you know you can get cardboard and put it up so that they can you know paper or cardboard there's an array of things that you can do um to help that toddler meet the need and if you are you know, redirecting them to something that's meeting their need, there's going to be a lot less friction, fr less friction. You're Between going to be a lot less frustrated. Um, well, what I hear you doing too, is you're redirecting from this old idea that the toddler isn't listening, the toddler's doing something wrong, the toddler's misbehaving to, this is actually how toddlers are. So let's see how we can work within that and meet the toddler's needs without you feeling like you're doing something wrong as a parent. Because I think this is where most parents, myself very much included, get stuck. We start to take it personally. This child's yeah. not listening to me. And so that means I'm doing something wrong. And then my entire self-worth becomes based off of getting this child to listen to me, which yeah. isn't going to work. And then everything's horrible. So when yeah. we make it about, okay, how you need to do this, you need to move. You've done a video about like the person telling their kid over and over again, stop jumping on the couch. I've told you 25 times and I'm going to hit you if you don't stop. And what that toddler's hearing is I have two choices. Like I can completely ignore like every impulse inside of me, or I can listen to that impulse, but you're not giving me an alternative. Like how about go outside and jump there? Um, so these are like these really practical solutions. I want to talk about what you were saying about patterns. Um, what I find so interesting about 
generational trauma and our impulses as adults and as teachers. You described this really well just now. You said, I got into this classroom and I had these really great intentions, but if I were to do to these children what was done to me growing up, it would be illegal. So I'm assuming that had something to do with hitting or spanking. Yeah. When we're hit or spanked as a child, we know that it's wrong. We know there's something wrong. We get mad. We can feel this sort of injustice being done to us. And then when we get older, the things that we were hit for are the things that trigger us to do the same thing to our children. And if we're not aware of what that feeling is, we will end up repeating the pattern, which is so like phenomenal to me when I think about it. It's like we could have the best of intentions, but if our child is ignoring us or not listening or being ungrateful or whatever it was we were punished for, we have that sort of physical instinct to do what was done to us, even though once we knew that it was wrong. And I'm, I'm thinking about this now and I'm thinking about pushback because I read comments. I've read comments to some of your videos and parents will say, listen, like this child needs to learn. How are they going to learn? I was hit. I was fine. What do you say to parents who are kind of in that space, maybe considering what you're saying, and especially those who are struggling to change those patterns because they feel like, no, I have to do this. Like this is the only way this kid's going to learn anything. Yeah. I think different messages are for different people. And I think people have different thought processes and 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 so i i will kind of tell you almost the spectrum of how i kind of think about and 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 work with or deal with these parents there are parents who are completely completely just opposed to the idea of doing anything different than the way that they were raised. And, you know, there are some parents who just, who may not be ready for the message at this moment in time. And I don't stress about trying to force those parents to like come on board, to jump on to like my side of the fence. Like I'm just going to create content and maybe one day something will click or something I may say may hit them in the right way because of experience that they had that day and it will cause them to reflect. Maybe it's something that happens at work where they feel like something is, you know, there's an injustice happening to them or they don't feel heard or listened to. And, you know, cause they're in that part of the, 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 the uh, less power of the power dynamic. Um, and then I say something about a power dynamic. Now it starts, it starts to click and now maybe they're a little bit more open, but trying to shame or judge that parent for doing what they're doing right now isn't going to be helpful. And so I really approach across the whole spectrum, whether wherever you are, like I'm approaching with empathy because I know that, you know, you or every parent's doing the best that they can with the knowledge and the skills that they have. And, you know, and they're, their upbringing and their environment is a big part of that, which they largely, especially growing up, they didn't have a lot of control over. So, you know, it's, there's no sense in judging and shaming those parents. I'm here to create content and hopefully something clicks for them at some point to help them move forward along in their journey. Now their parents, actually, you just described that, okay, I'm kind of on the fence. I hear, but this is where I raise, I'm, I'm open to it, but uh, I'm not, it doesn't feel right to me because I just, want to repeat the pattern uh, which yeah. is a normal thing to do biological is, like you yes. just do what was done to you right and um, um, unless you make the decision to rethink some of the things that were done to you to, to start to think critically to start to be like hey okay maybe there were some good things about the way that i was raised but maybe there are some things that I can rethink and improve on and and improve on for my kids and I can grow, right? And and the way that I think about it all, whether regardless of where you're at in this on your journey, is I think about like the iPhone, right? Where this whole gentle, conscious, progressive, whatever parenting you want to call it, is 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 it's like a it's based off of research and innovations and in research and innovations and in what we know about the brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is an innovation like an iPhone is. And now people are trying to understand it and learn it and apply it, right? And so it's this huge innovation um, and it's hard. 
Like you're used to, you know, if you're used to texting, like pushing the button six times. Yeah, to, it's hard you know, to learn how to do something. And it feels very letter. awkward. I mean, yeah. people don't talk about that very much, that like you can't just pick up a book and read about a new way of parenting and suddenly it clicks. It is like a lifetime commitment and it's really hard. You talked about positive intent, which is something I know you learned and I did too from Becky Bailey. Um, she's been on this podcast before as well. And she talks about just trying to see the positive intent. And I have found that to be like miraculous, not just with my children, with my husband, like with everyone. Like, what would I believe if I really knew that this person was trying to come from a good place? And like, what would my assumption be? And the thing about it is that tends to be closer to reality, right? Like everyone yeah. is here, like no child comes, you know, out of the womb and is like, I'm going to destroy your house. Everyone's life miserable. And I don't want any friends and I don't want to be connected to anyone. I want everyone to be mad at me all the time. It's going to cause chaos. Yeah. yeah. Right. They are people and especially children. They're just trying to meet their needs. Right. And they don't know how to meet their needs. And they're in this world that we've constructed for them in this environment that we've constructed for them, just trying to figure out how to meet their needs. And our role is more to help them to, you know, help them, identify and help them meet their needs and teach them how to meet their own needs, right? And when they're really young, they may not have the capacity to meet their own needs in a lot of situations. Um, and so we have to kind of be there for them and for that to happen, for us to actually be there for them, to help them meet their needs and to teach them and to show them to meet their needs, we have to know how to meet our own needs. Yes. Um, which is something that wasn't talked about with when we were growing up with no. our parents, right? That wasn't a topic of conversation. That wasn't even something that, if anything, it was ignore your needs for my expectations, right? And so yes, now we're in adulthood trying now trying to learn like how do I meet my needs like who am I what do I want like what do I need um and now and I have kids you know my husband calls it the sandwich generation like we were raised by these parents who were extremely focused on their own needs much like children and then we had our own and like our children actually deserve to be focused on their own needs and we're in yeah. the middle and it's like how do I learn how to like meet my own needs and regulate myself when no one taught me and I'm trying to teach you you talk about co-regulation and yeah. dysregulation will you explain what that is like when a child is dysregulated how do we co-regulate with them yeah so you know first let me yeah explain a regulation and dysregulation because I think sometimes the phrase can be confusing or the terms can be confusing. And I simply just describe it as regulation is being balanced, the feeling of balance. And dysregulation is when you're off balance, right? Um, yeah. When you can't you know, control your impulses or emotions like off of it. Exactly. Really like angry or like upset or really sad or even really excited too. That yeah. is also a part of dysregulation as well. I don't know if you've seen a young child get really excited and their body is just all like this. Oh like, yeah. They can't even yeah, like, so. it's that, did you read Dr. Becky Bailey's kid's book, Schubert's, um, Schubert Rants and Raves. She wrote this book about this kid, Schubert, who was so excited about his field trip and his excitement. He was like blasting off through the roof and like everyone was kind of helping him like clap his hands and stomp his feet and kind of get the, get the wiggles out because it's the same thing. It, you, yeah. you get that excited. Yeah, right. And so that is what I mean by, you know, dysregulation and regulation. Co-regulation is another person going in and helping that dysregulated person to regulate. Um, and for uh, adults, it can look like we do engage in co-regulation too, where, you know, at the end of the day of a hard day at work, like when we were calling the friend, when we're driving back and we're like, oh, you'll never believe what just, what happened today, right? Or that the conversation with your partner about your stressful day and we feel a little bit better and a little more regulated after, afterwards because we're able to kind of get that stress out of our body, right? Mm -hmm. And so for young children, they don't have in a lot of situations have the ability or capacity to self-regulate themselves. So we 
as the adults, whether you're a teacher, a nanny, a parent, whatever, as the adults, as the trusted adult carer, caretaker of this child, it is our responsibility to go in and co-regulate and help them um, regulate their body sometimes. And the importance of this and where this kind of plays into the whole generational thing too, it's, it's the people learn to self-regulate when they've had as a child, many opportunities of, for co-regulation. When they've been in dysregulation and they were able to, uh, not only through modeling, but just through connection, able to um, help that child regulate. And so it's like practice and dysregulation isn't a bad thing. It's a normal, natural it's a normal part, part of, of being life. life. Yes, I, Exactly. I say like if you're never dysregulated, then you're probably not moving. You're probably not doing anything, yeah. right? Because yeah. it, is, it, it, it is part of the human experience. But learning to self-regulate, um, you know, the way that we learn to do that is by getting dysregulated and then, you know, bringing ourselves back to regulation. Dysregulated, back to regulation. Right. Dysregulated, back to regulation. So mod moderate amounts of stress are actually healthy right and yes. actually becoming dysregulated sometimes is actually healthy it's something that we would expect it's um it's not something that's always easy to handle <laughs> if it's not easy um, to handle as an adult then you can imagine how difficult it is for a kid right 100 yeah. percent. and a lot of times their dysregulation will bring us into our dysregulation and then and then it becomes more difficult it becomes harder for us to we're like feeding off of each other Right, exactly. And so that's why it's so important. So to learn to self-regulate so that we, as, as the adults, and maybe we didn't have it when we were young, but it's because we do have the capacity for 25 and older, we do have, our brains are, you know, fully developed. The, the capacity of our brains are fully developed. So, you know, even if we don't have the skill, we can practice the skill and learn to self-regulate. And that's, that's what breaking the cycle is all about. Yeah, we may have to learn skills that we weren't taught as a child, but the benefit in that is that now we're more able, we have more of a capacity to help our children learn those skills. So they're better at self-regulating. So when they become parents, they are actually able to self-regulate and co-regulate. So their children are able to self-regulate as they get older. You're not just raising your children, you're raising your children's children. And then with to bring it back to them, you know, the whole metaphor with the iPhone. It's, you know, you may not be perfect at self-regulation and no one's asking you to and, and being perfect doesn't exist. It shouldn't be something that we strive for. And we can talk about that a little bit later. I definitely yeah. need to talk about that. But it is about growing as much as you can so that you can impart some of this growth onto your children so that then you may be the iPhone with this innovation because you're breaking this like completely new it's different right it's not the flip phone you the iphone and they're learning to self-regulate but then it doesn't stop there it grows from generation and generation now your child can learn from the lessons since you're an iphone they've, they've had the opportunity to learn from an iphone now they can become an iphone too and they can kind of upgrade right and then yes their, their children can learn from that and they can take the innovations from that and then learn and build off of that so it's not about being perfect or you being the iphone 20 right now now be the best iphone that you can be the iphone one that you can and your children will build will have the opportunity to build and build off of that don't be a perfectionist avoid being a perfectionist be an improvement the goal isn't to be perfect every day the goal is to improve a little an improvenist. I love that. I think I don't think anybody enjoys perfectionism or has benefited from it. My friend just shared the funniest meme that said, you know, you keep asking us why our whole generation has anxiety and depression, but you had us play this game called perfection, where if we didn't get the board perfect, it blew up in our face. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, thank you. That's so true. And, and also I think about what a burden it was to have to be perfect as a child. And so what am I showing my children when I show them my own imperfection and that I grow, when I apologize to them, when they see yeah. that I'm actually learning as I go? I'm not, I've had times in my life as a parent, um, probably before 
my second was born with my first, where I just felt like so focused on being this perfect parent. And I knew intuitively that it actually was like doing the opposite of what I wanted it to do. It was like not benefiting her because she had this parent who was just like totally anxious and perfectionist, perfectionistic all the time. And, and I didn't want to be that example. I thought like, I need to, I need to let go so that she knows how to let go. I don't want her to live this way. I don't want her to feel like she just has to be perfect all the time. And we're all human. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people who embark on improving tend to be perfectionists. So I love that word improvenist. I'm going to, I'm going to adopt it. You've been doing some, um, videos lately about the difference between or the contrast or choosing between generational health and generational wealth. Talk to me a little bit about that. What are we, what have, what has been perpetuated about wealth and, and career in society and how is that affecting children? Yes, man, this is really a, a huge conversation. So we have, a lot of times we will send messages to children and you know, we'll say things like it's, you know, we will put like the legacy of a family and the reputation of a family on the the back of children and more specifically a lot of times on the back of their report cards or their grades and like you know we will put this pressure that like you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or you need to you know have straight a's and go to the ivy league school and you know so that you can accomplish these big things and make a bunch of money so that you can either you know some families reasonings or to you know so you can support us in yeah. our old age or so that you can have or so that you can have this you know with all the best intentions so that you can have the things that i didn't have growing up i we right. grew up without money or I grew up without money or without having access to things. So I want you to, have I'm going to push you really hard so that you are, you know, so that you go to the Ivy league school so that you have that high paying job so that you have the money. Um, and so that you're successful and that's how we're defining success really based off of just accomplishments and um, money. But when you think about it, when you think about uh, a healthy lifestyle, you think about a healthy life, and you, you maybe you even talk to some of these millionaires that did go that route, that did achieve the money, or even some of the, the famous people who did achieve whatever, it's, it's not the money that, you know, helps, that makes a meaningful, fulfilling, happy joyful life the lives that we are really wanting for children and you know the probably the reason why you want them to or for some for some families and some parents the reason why you want them to make the money and so that they can be happy right, right? and because we're maybe we're equating money with happiness and which is a lot easier to do and a lot of people see it that way especially when you grew up without it right yeah. um and you see that deficit so we're, we're we're looking from a scarcity deficit model um but when you talk to people who have either achieved that or who have achieved like money or whatever that it's it's really about the relationships that the relationships and mental health that creates actually a happy fulfilling life and ironically if you are making a lot of money to the detriment of your mental health it makes it so that you can't even enjoy the money no you right can't. Yeah. you have you're living in this big mansion but you're maybe you your relationship with your partner isn't intact because of maybe the things that you you've prioritized the job or maybe you have learned to ignore your emotions because you were taught to ignore your emotions in pursuit of the accomplishment or the money or whatever and so you've learned to ignore your emotions and now that's affecting your relationship with your partner or because of your big you know high paying job it's taking you away from your family and actually time 
with your children. And so now that relationship is disconnected and there's no balance there. And you don't even know how to have balance or even maybe you don't even value the balance because you're just thinking like, I have to accomplish, I have to do this. I have to, these expectations mm -hmm. that were ingrained into you from the time you were really young are still, you know, driving your decisions. And, you know, people end up, they, you know, live these lives and the things that people really care about on their, on their deathbed aren't the amount of money that they've accumulated. It's the relationships, relationships. Yeah. and the, you know, it's the relationships that they've had with people. Right. Um, I've only thought I was going to die twice in my life. And it was when both of my kids were born. I was terrified. <laughs> and it was funny because it was a huge aha moment for me. The only thing I was thinking about was my family, like the people that I loved. And I remember like that was a very big turning point for me both times because I thought, gosh, not once did I think about anything work related or any type of event or that anything was going on that had anything to do with my professional life. And it's not that I don't care about it in this sort of like very human way, but it's not what matters the most at all. Yeah. And I think you just described like the way we were raised, which was, what do you want to be when you grow up? You have to go to this school. You have to work hard to get here. And oh yeah, like everyone wants a really happy marriage, but we're not going to tell you how to have that or how to take care of yourself or how to be a happy functioning human being. Like you're going to figure all that out because once you get all this stuff, that stuff will just come secondary. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like it has nothing. Yeah. Like they have nothing to do with each other, like at all. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, gaining that uh, success or in or gaining that, let me rephrase that, gaining that those monies and the money and the accomplishments makes it harder, puts more yes. of a stress on uh, uh, relationships sometimes because you, you know, it's for a variety of reasons, maybe you feel like you don't need to where, you know, if you don't have a lot of money or you grew up not having a lot relationships were really important and leaned right. on right. because you know you know that you you need you don't have money so you know that i need relationships right i need support i need people i need a support system i need people around me so it's easier so it can be easier sometimes to prioritize those relationships um and hard too in some other ways as well but it's you know i i find that people without the, you know, without the huge, like, high paying, like jobs and people who are like, you know, constantly like, trying to gain and accumulate these, um, you know, like just more and more money, more and more and more and more money, kind of using it as like a scoreboard. Those people have tend to have a harder time building meaningful relationships. Um, and there's just so much irony in it. And, you know, it, the, the answer is really about balance, right? And it's also really about what do you want as a person? Because we have a tendency as adults to like, I didn't grow up with this. I didn't have this. And so that comes with a lot of insecurities and I'm going to project these insecurities on you because I didn't have money or I didn't, or I didn't, I wasn't able to have the big house for you. I want you to be able to have the big house for you or have the big house for um, your children. But that, that might not even be necessarily what that child wants or even specifically saying, you know, I want you to become a doctor or a lawyer, not even thinking about, huh, maybe they have a different interest or maybe that those professions aren't right for them. Maybe they're more into um, computers or maybe they want to do a trade and they're just feel, feel really fulfilled with building and creating something with their hands, being a carpenter. And maybe they can have a better life being a carpenter and spending time with their family and 
uh, also learning to understand their emotions and understand um, what their own needs are and how to meet their own needs. Um, maybe they'll have a happier, more meaningful life taking that path than the traditional straight A or you know straight A Ivy League doctor, medical school, law school track. This conventional and, track that we were taught was going to bring us so much happiness. Right, right. Yeah. And that's and it's one just thing. Something, go ahead. It's just it's just something and I'll and I'll kind of allow you to talk here. I know no, no, go ahead. But go. it's just something for us to think about. And some, you know, I've talked to some parents like, well, like it feels like we can't win. Like no matter what, you know, the child's gonna feel like they're the child might feel like they've been pressured or like we pushed them in one direction or the other. And that's why it's so important to have that those curious conversations and those non-judgmental conversations where you're helping them and you're encouraging them to look inward to help them figure out what they want and acknowledging that it is important for them to, to, to discover themselves and to figure out what is right for them, not is just what I think is right or what someone else thinks is right for them. That's what makes me so proud of being a millennial is I do feel like we were raised by a generation of parents who did really stress our careers and 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 you know we can be looked on negatively for completely changing direction but that's one area where I feel like we've changed direction quite well is I think most of us raise our children um, really like we're, we're very aware of how it feels to be told you have to be one thing and make a certain amount of money in order to be happy. And we're all aware that it doesn't work. If it's not what you really want to be doing, it's not going to make you happy. And we also like lacked these sort of skills and how to feel joyful and how to have mental health. And, and so I think the importance of that in raising our own children is very, it's very obvious. I, I, th I thought it was so funny. Like my, my oldest daughter's almost five. Um, I remember my answer to what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember giving it between ages three and six. And I don't think I have ever asked her that question. And that's not intentional. I think she's told me once, like we were reading a book and she was like, I want to be a mommy and an astronaut. And I said, that's awesome. You can definitely be both. I've never actually asked her that, like in that type of way. Like it's not, it's, it's just like, an, it's just a different way of looking at the world. Like I sort of think when she gets older, I really hope that she's really happy. Like I hope she has a great life. And my whole way of just raising her is kind of geared on like giving her those tools. And it has really nothing to do with what she ends up doing. And that probably, yeah, yeah I mean. I think even that question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up is, I think it comes with the assumption that they're not already somebody right now. Right, and, right. And we have such, <laughs> we prioritize and talk so much about like the future. What are you going to be? What are you going to become? Not value like you're, you're a full person right now. Yes. And we can value the present moment and we can, we can value the journey and, and we can help you talk about yeah. like as you're probably not at three four or five or six but we can help you you know um figure out what profession you might want to go in that might align with you know some of your you know skills and interests and things that you care about we can help you we can talk to you and i think that especially as children get older that parents should talk about the variety of professions that are out there um and so that children do know what's out there but it's not a parent's decision to choose what profession or what they do. Um, you know, it's, you know, we can, adults can guide and be there to support, but it should be on the basis and foundation of what that child, who that child is and what that child wants. And by the way, it can change. It's yes. not about getting it right the first time. It's not time. this one thing. And, yeah. It's I remember in high school, like picking my major in college, it was like, this is very important and you can't yeah. really change it. And if you change it, then it'll be too late and you'll have to take extra classes. And it was like, you better know now you're 16. Like what? It's like, yeah. so it's still in my head. Like just thinking that that answer that I had when I was 16 is somehow tied to who or what I should be doing. I mean, I still struggle with that. I still and struggle with that. you know what that. too? 
even even for that, like uh, picking your major, I think a lot of times it's like pick your major to to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Really, I believe that it should be pick your major to uh, or just think about what you want to learn about and pick your major based off of that. Because and you know, it's not really true that what you major in is going to pigeonhole you in one profession no. for the rest of your life. I was a journalism That's major, which is somewhat related to what I'm doing in this moment, but I ended up starting a website design company. Like I had like nothing to do with journalism yeah. and and it's just but i'm so grateful that's what i studied it's still my favorite thing in the world so but i didn't want to go work for like a newspaper in the middle of montana that just wasn't what i wanted to do with my life so i figured yeah. that out pretty quickly and it's great it sounds like you found something that's within your interest and i think that's and 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 that's and like okay I'll, let me pull that out right there because even though like if someone said like become a journalism major so you can be a, become a news reporter in right. Montana or somewhere and you think oh like that's all that I can like that's all that I can do and really even in journalism there's there's more than than that but it is you discovering or you uh, studying what you're interested in what you wanted to learn about then allows you to one you when you go to college you're actually more likely to be engaged and interested in what you want to learn and consume mm -hmm. information so you're going to grow more from it just from that simple fact that you want to learn about it and then two it's going to you're going to use those skills that you that you gain regardless of where you go um because right. i think that you're yeah building a website but i'm sure the some of the lessons when you're building the website i'm sure some of those some of those lessons were still helpful for you in building that website it was all tied together absolutely and yeah. i actually started that company because when i graduated from college i had this real realization that um i did not want my life to be all about work and that if i pursued the career in journalism that i was sort of told i was supposed to want I would be working 80 hours a week in a small town and I would not have an opportunity to start a family and I really wanted to. So I started this business that allowed me this flexibility. It was something I was good at. I was getting paid well so I could have the life that I wanted. And like people were like, wait, so you're completely changing career plans because of a family that you want, like that you've never met. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is just the kind of life that I wanted. And then I met, I met the person who started that family with me shortly after it was like i knew that i wanted to live my life in this certain way and that was so i mean even that was 10 years ago so that was like really weird now i think it's more common for somebody to graduate college and say like okay what do i want my life to look like because we have flexibility and we have zoom and you can kind of choose where you want to live but 10 years ago it was like a little more bizarre it's probably still bizarre i'm guessing but and things 10 years from now are going to change and yeah. 10 years from after that are going to change and jobs are going to change and what things look like are going to change and so it's really absurd to choose to have a, a high schooler to pressure a high schooler to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life um even more absurd to right. put that pressure on a you know a five or six the three-year-old right um but it should be more about this, like, what do you want to, what do you want to learn about? And it's that journey. Like, it's all like, not to sound like a hippie, but like, it's what about you learn the journey. Along the way. It is. It's, it's about the journey. <laughs> it really, it, but it really, but it really is. And yeah. you hear your story and so many other stories that it isn't just this one linear path, right? Mm -mm. And a lot of people who are really, no happy taking that journey. Maybe your child says like, ah, I want to do, I want to go to clown college. That's what I want to do. And you're probably like, that's not, you know, thinking like, that's not gonna make money. You're not gonna be successful. All these things, oh all these messages yeah. that you were told and you're thinking, and I just invite you to take a deep breath first, mm -hmm. regulate yourself, regulate your body, right? If you need to take if you need to take a minute to respond to it take a minute if you need a 30 minute you need to go on a drive do that but if you can just breathe pause 
respond with non-judgmental curiosity. Ask about what sparked that decision, what, you know, like a journalist, you know, ask about like, what is, where is this coming from? And not like, where is this coming from? Yeah. Like you, you've, we've put, you spent so much money on private school. Where is this coming from? Right. But it's just like, huh, that's interesting. Where's this coming from? You know? Yeah. Tone and body language and all that stuff has, is a big part of how you're communicating and understand where it's coming from. And you may not agree and that's okay. And maybe they go to clown college and they're like, man, this is the life that I wanted to live. And that's okay. Or maybe they go to clown college and like, Ooh, this isn't for me. I didn't realize that, you know, I'd be around elephants and it smells like poo. And this is no Not longer my for life. me. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, now I'm one, I'm, I'm on a different part of my journey to find something else, but that person's still likely going to take those skills and knowledge are going to learn a lot from clown college because it's something that they're interested in and they're engaged in and they want to learn and they want to grow and it's and they have ownership and it's theirs um and so both of those scenarios are okay and i would invite you to resist the urge to control what happens there and i Do know you- that can be hard It can be hard. It can be hard. Those things that happen to us, those adverse experiences, they teach us who we are and they teach us more about ourselves and how to find joy. And and we need to allow our children to have those experiences too. Like we're the guides, right? So I can't protect them from everything, but when they do have an adverse experience, I can help them cope with that. I can help them learn how to change direction. I can help them deal with their feelings about it. I cannot prevent, I mean, my kid has already come home from school and told me some crazy things some other kid said to her. And it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to her school and I'm going to monitor like what every other kid says to my kid? Or am I going to give my kid tools for how to deal with how that made her feel and what to say next time? Because she's going to meet mean people. Like they're going to be out there. I cannot make them all go away. Like I really wish I could, trust me. And that's the feeling. Like the first time you hear your kid say something like that, you just want to do anything to just make it go away. You want to protect them. But it's like, okay, this is not going to be your first rodeo. And like, how can I help you manage this? How can I help you contextualize it, process it, and give you this tool that you can keep using throughout your life, as opposed to trying to just cleanse your life of negative experiences? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Mr. Chaz, it has been a true honor. Thank you so, so much for being with me today. And um, I encourage all of those listening who aren't following you already to find you on Instagram. It has been a delight. I've learned so much from you, not only in this interview, but just from the whole time I've been able to follow you. And I'm so grateful to have you on today. Yeah, it's so great to be here. Love the conversation and can't wait to listen back to it. Me too. Me too. I'm going to learn more even when I listen back. Thank you all for listening. Um, This is Look Ma No Hands. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose, and I look forward to joining you again next time. I hope you liked that last episode of Look Ma No Hands. Feel free to take a screenshot, share it with a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear it. If you want all the Look Ma No Hands updates, follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose. I look forward to joining you again next time.